0: Last week, the new $10 billion Housing Australia Future Fund opened for applications from housing providers. Waiting lists for public housing have been growing rapidly in recent years, and a report by the campaign group Everybody's Home called for 25,000 new social homes per year in order to meet demand. Now, whether or not that's even doable, there's also the question of where this housing should be built or sourced and how these dwellings will impact the surrounding communities. How do you feel about social housing in your neighbourhood? Is it something you're happy to see, maybe something you need yourself, or are you worried about the impact it will have? Dr Jehu is a lecturer in architecture at Swinburne University, and Dr Alistair Sisson is a research fellow studying housing policy at Macquarie University. Welcome, everybody. Uh Alistair, I'm going to start, uh, let, let, let's start with some quick explanations because we've been hearing a lot about social, affordable, public, these terms all getting thrown around. I think it's helpful to know what we're talking about here. So what is social housing exactly?
1: Yeah, you're right. It can be quite confusing, even for those of us who work in this area. <laughs> um, so social housing describes low income rental housing. So housing that's rented rather than at market rates. Um, for a proportion of household income, usually 25 to 30% across most states and territories. And it's managed or allocated, I should say, through a waiting list. So an eligible household will put themselves on the waiting list for social housing and eventually, um, although often several years later, be allocated that housing. Social housing has two main types, and this is where the confusion really comes from. Um, There's public housing that's managed by state housing authorities. That's been around for many, many decades in Australia, and there's also community housing, which is run by charitable organisations, which are a bit more recent, and sometimes they manage properties on behalf of housing authorities, and sometimes they own their own properties.
0: And are the application processes for both of those types of social housing the same?
1: Yeah, they do tend to have the same waiting list and have the same kind of eligibility criteria, Um, There are a few kind of wrinkles that that make for some differences between the two, but generally speaking, if you're eligible for public housing, you're eligible for community housing.
0: Okay, and what about affordable housing? How is that different?
1: Yeah, this is another um, more recent phenomenon again. So affordable housing, like social housing, is rented for below market rates, but it's not allocated through a waiting list, and it's often targeted at kind of more... Moderate income households, so rather than very low income earners, which social housing targets, affordable housing is usually targeted at people on slightly higher incomes, often not eligible for social housing, and the rent setting can vary between a proportion of their income to something like a discount or market rents of 20 or 25%.
0: So when we talk about the like how broad the the need and use of um, social and public housing is in Australia, Alistair, there was a report last year that said that three point eight percent of Australians live in social housing, but compared to other countries like England, for example, where it's seventeen percent, those are pretty low numbers. So, what is the role of social housing in Australia? Do we like how much do we need it when numbers seem so low?
1: Yeah, well, one way to understand how much we need it is to to look at how many people are currently on waiting lists around the country. And that number is close to 180,000 across all states and territories. That's 180,000 households, um, so many more individuals, given that many households will have multiple people in them. Um, And the role of social housing, I suppose, has become increasingly marginal in Australia over the last 50 years or so. So it's true. It's about 4% of our housing stock today, about One in 10 rental properties is another way to look at it, and that's a decline from a maximum in the 1960s of about 9% of the housing stock and about one in four rental properties. So we've never had a huge social housing system in Australia compared to the UK or parts of Europe, Um, but even you know, in a historical context, it's very small today compared to what it used to be.
0: And a similar report you mentioned, you know, the the proportion of people in social housing has fallen by 20% over the past decade. And yet, like you said, those waiting lists are so huge and so long. So what has happened here? How did we get to this point where there's such a small um, proportion of social housing when there's such a high need?
1: Yeah, it's been a long time in the making. I think that you know, there have been several decades of kind of policy stagnation and, uh, in particular, in a, inefficient or in insufficient funding for, for social housing. So there's been a trend over the last 30 years of, of putting funding into Commonwealth Rent Assistance, which is a, an income supplement paid to um, income support recipients, uh, instead of putting that money into the social housing system. So there's, a, I guess... a a line of thinking that it's better to support people to rent in the private rental market instead of um, in the public system. Uh, And, you know, while there's been a very uh, small uh, growth, very very marginal growth in the total stock of social housing, we've just seen a lot more private housing um, whether that's for ownership or rental being built and kind of diluting the proportion of social housing over the last two or three decades.
0: Uh, Weiji I'll bring you in here because those alternatives mentioned you know like are they are they viable are they not uh, a decent solution to provide a bit more rental assistance or try and solve this issue through the private market like what's the issue with that? Well uh, it depends on the Market mechanism,
2: market mechanism. So um, there are still a lot of low-income residents in the city in Melbourne, or national wide. Uh, you know, many people just do not really have a decent job, and they cannot really afford the current rent. So that was why we need more affordable housing, social housing, public housing here. And I agree with what Alisa just said and uh, you know really just more and we are far below the world's standard uh, compared to other developed countries. For example in Singapore, 70% of Singaporean people live in public housing. In Hong Kong, almost one-third of local people living in social housing, public housing, what they call public housing, right? Even in France, I think it's around 15 people living in social housing in France in general. So yeah, so we are way below the, standard, uh, the world average. Yeah,
0: And, and I know too, Wei in Singapore, that the leases um, for public housing are really long. Like they're almost lifetime leases in some cases, aren't they? How does that sort of shift or that sort of attitude? Like, how important is that for security, you know? Like, do you think, in comparison, Australia is lacking some security when it comes to housing for lower-income people?
2: Yeah, well in Singapore the situation will be different. You know, in Singapore uh, the, the government owns the land so they can make the decision like right, what the land will be used in the future, right? So at the beginning, uh, I think that was in the 60s, the government uh, planned to build, uh, you know, to use public housing as a strategy to develop the whole country. So they use public housing. And uh, as a w- as a method to develop those underdeveloped regions, they call new towns, so supposed to be empty land, and then they're planning like the the national planning is like, oh, okay, we're, we're going to build a huge public housing here with decent facilities around. And then maybe ten years later, that area will developed into a new town, which is the extension of urban area. And nowadays, those new towns uh, is a, in my opinion, is a decent place to stay. And I heard like sixty percent people living in new towns in uh, in Singapore. Yeah.
0: So there's the the planning that comes from uh, you know thinking about what that you know housing is going to to bring to that area or how it's how things are going to develop around it. What is the? How does Australia compare when it comes to that sort of um, planning for public housing?
2: Well, to Australia, I think there are many lessons we can learn um, globally. All right. So the first, for example, like currently the state government is trying to tear down all forty-four social housing in Melbourne, in you know, in home Melbourne area, but. Technically this is a totally wrong thing, so instead of tearing down we should build more social housing in the city to accommodate those low low income residents. Uh, Of course the government is trying to redevelop the social housing into new social housing so they can accommodate more people, but some experts including myself we argue that actually those initial residents will not benefit from this kind of, uh, you know, tear down and rebuild process because they will be relocated to the suburbs. And after 10 years, after five years, maybe it will be impossible for them to move back. And the actual benefit will be received by other urban residents, like middle class or working class people. So the real low income people cannot benefit much. So this is more like a top down planning and policy issues. And that's something I need to argue because, you know, compared to other countries, we can do much more here. yeah Yeah.
0: you're hearing from dr weijia who is a lecturer in architecture at Swinburne university i'm also with dr Alastair sisson a research fellow studying housing policy at macquarie university i'm nat tentich with you on life matters and we're discussing the impact on communities of new social housing developments uh so how i want to know uh, how do you feel about social housing in your neighborhood especially as many more dwellings are soon to be built is it something you're happy to see thing you, you need or are you worried about the impact it's having. Neil has a suggestion. He says, I want to see in new subdivisions every third home government owned, not bundled together as in the current thinking. Rob writes, in my immediate neighbourhood there are eight mostly vacant holiday houses with the owners reaping in the tax benefits and capital appreciation. There needs to be a major change to the tax system to discourage empty houses and encourage them to be turned over to social housing. Uh, I think this is a really interesting idea, Alistair, when it comes to how we repurpose what's already already around us and what's already vacant or not being used. Uh, And there was a case recently, I think, where the Queensland government purchased an empty hotel to use as social housing. So talk to us about what's already out there in terms of existing infrastructure. And could that be a solution that makes it a lot faster to get people into housing who need it?
1: Mm, Yeah, it certainly could be. So you're right, the Queensland government um, is in the process of acquiring a couple of hotels as well as aged care facilities to repurpose them as social housing. And I think it is actually a really smart way to bring more social housing into the system in a very timely manner. So, you know, traditionally governments have sought to build new social housing. They've often done that on existing public land because it's cheaper to do so if you don't have to purchase land in the market. Um, and, you know, that's great and they should certainly continue doing that, but it does take a long time to build and it's particularly complicated at the moment given that the, you know, uh, tight labor market and um, supply chain issues that the construction industry is facing. So purchasing existing properties, whether it's hotels or whether it's aged care facilities, whether it's just other homes, um, I think is a really smart approach and in, particularly in places where the property market isn't quite so inflated. Um, or at times where there's a bit of a downturn and it's forecast to kind of um, tick back up again in the near future, I think it's it's very prudent to do that. Um, I think the Victorian government as well is is just starting out a spot spot purchasing program as well, so it might be something we see a bit more of in the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, hopefully the the speed of that would be helpful for a lot of people because you know, as we've discussed, some people are on waiting lists for you know up to a decade. A lot can change in that time, Alistair. You know, how can we – how are people able to, like, find, you know, solutions to their issues um, without having to wait for so long? Um, They might be in a totally different financial um, place by the time their name is up, um, as it were. So, like, how can we move things along?
1: Yeah, well, it's it's really difficult. We're in such a bad state, I think, at the moment, unfortunately, that I'm not sure that there's going to be any kind of really rapid solution to it. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of organisations have called for increasing Commonwealth rent assistance to assist uh, households who might be on the waiting list um, within the private rental market at the moment. And I think in, in particular, expanding eligibility at the moment. Um, eligibility is limited only to households who receive income support, whether that's, you know, job seeker or disability support or age pension payments. Um, but there are a lot of people who don't receive those payments who may be in the workforce, um, but, you know, earning you a load of moderate incomes, but having to pay really, really high rents. So expanding support to them would be helpful. I think also we need to talk, you know, this is going a little bit beyond Social housing itself, but um, regulating rents in the private rental sector as well to, to prevent really excessive rent increases like we've seen over the last couple of years. Does, um, does the yeah, purpose for building... some
0: more affordable housing sort of cover that or have any impact on, on a policy like that?
1: So... Um, Sorry, I missed the first part of your question. If you don't there's,
0: there's a promise for more affordable housing. Does that have to be, you know, built from scratch or could that be uh, allocated from the current um, private market?
1: Yeah, it certainly, it certainly could come out of the existing um, private housing stock. And, you know, we had a, a program called the National Rental Affordability Scheme under the Rudd government, which sought to do something like that by providing um, payments and tax benefits to private property owners um, to lease rentals out for below market rates. And that was pretty effective um, for the period that it existed. So that might be another thing that the government considers doing again. It was um, discontinued by the Abbott government. Um, so, yeah, I think thinking about how we how we deliver solutions for the here and now as well as for the long term is really important. And building more social housing is great, but it will take a few years to realise any benefit.
0: Absolutely. You're hearing from Dr Alastair Sisson, a research fellow at Macquarie University. He studies housing policy in Australia. And Dr Wei Jie, who was with me too, lecturer in architecture at Swinburne University on RN. And I'm hearing your thoughts too on the text line. Someone here says, rent to buy social housing uh, to get out of the rental tr- crap is one possible solution. Another says, I have cancer and have had to take a year off work, which has taken all of my savings. I'm now on Job Seeker because that is the only option that Australia has for cancer, cancer sufferers who are out of work. The payment I received doesn't cover my rent and if my landlord was not so understanding, I'd have been evicted by now. Increasing the housing supply over the long term may well be one solution, but it does not help people who are currently being forced to live in their cars. If they're lucky enough to have a car. Many of these people are working and have the money to pay rent. I can't find it can uh, and I can't find a secure rental prop- ro- property." Uh, add to that children and you have a dreadful mix. I'm really sorry to hear that that's what you're going through. And Margaret writes, why isn't social and affordable housing in the leafy suburbs like Mosman or Linfield in Sydney? Uh, it would be a novel experience for the residents. Uh, Alistair, that's a really interesting point that Margaret writes because uh, social housing tends to, I guess, be in in particular neighbourhoods um, and, and add something to a particular neighbourhood. What have we found about how social housing impacts the community in which it exists, social cohesion, uh, even property prices? Um, Because there are complaints sometimes from community members about that.
1: Yeah. So I think actually it has been the case historically that public housing has existed in some leafier suburbs or at least suburbs that became leafy. I think one of the issues has been that governments have looked to sell off homes in suburbs that you know, become more desirable because they can reap revenue from those property sales and, and and funnel that into the public housing system. So that's what happened in Sydney, in Millers Point and the Rocks. Um, a lot of people will have heard of the Sirius building, which was sold for something like $180 million a few years ago. And there was a number of other homes in Millers Point which were sold off because they were so valuable and, were, you know, in such a desirable part of the city. Um, So that's one of the reasons why we don't have as much public housing or social housing in wealthier areas these days, although there is still some existing. Uh, In terms of the impacts on communities, well, I guess, you know, social housing is part of the community. So the impacts are really positive for the people who live there because they get affordable and secure housing. I think the impacts on the surrounding community kind of depend a little bit on how well that housing is being managed one of the issues with the decline in social housing over the last few decades is that uh, isn't really enough money to do good um, you know work with residents who might need support as you know public housing or social housing has become a smaller and smaller part of the housing system that's been targeted towards people with complex needs so people with various um, health issues disability addiction etc mm. um, and they need support and they don't Often receive as much support as they as they need um, from the system. That's not getting enough money, basically.
0: Wager, let's talk a little bit about you know fixing some of those those stigma or social cohesion issues with design, because you know there are complaints about or the fact that, you know, some of these buildings can make these communities feel a bit isolated. Um, Some proposals have been around mixing uh, the types of housing within one building, uh, as an example. Could that tackle some of the stigma that we do feel um, towards social housing?
2: yes definitely so um well i'm an architect so if you look at the those international successful cases uh, around the world there are many good cases that we can learn from for example like the nl architect uh, a dutch architect for uh has done something uh, a very successful uh, transformation of social housing in uh, in Amsterdam, right? So the BIG architect from Denmark has also done something uh, similar in uh, social housing, post-war social housing in Rotterdam. And most most famous one would be uh, La Caton and Versailles. It's a French architect that they have done many social housing transformation in France, uh, particularly in Paris region. So what they have done is to uh, rather than in, uh, rather than isolating those um, social housing communities, they integrate that they they put private well, like what they call public private partnership like PPP right. So they bring uh, private housing into the public housing area. So uh, the local uh, residents can be mixed. They call social mix. So in this way, um, public housing residents. Can you know merge into the mainstream of the society, and also most importantly, uh, you know uh, they have a better connectivity to the surrounding neighborhood, and uh, the 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 stereotypes like which is a ser- serious problem in many countries. The uh, the stereotypes can be a little reduced. So people always think people living in social housing is like a group of poor people, tend to commit crime something like that. But they are just normal people. They are, most of them are having jobs like they are working they're not jobless but just they are you know they don't have a decent job and sometimes they cannot pay the market rent so that's it so there's just a lot more people and there there shouldn't be any stereotype towards them and you know if you look at those international cases why not australian for us like to learn something from them so we can do something similar uh, rather than tearing down those social housing we can you know we can transform all those old social housing into new and by bringing Uh, private housing into the uh, into the public housing side to to achieve the social mix. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And on the text line, um, people are definitely agreeing with you. Uh, Dr. who someone here, says, Interestingly, in Canberra, all suburbs have social housing, including Yarralumla, good social cohesion in this city. And another texter says, To understand why homes have gotten so expensive, there must be an inquiry as to why the land content of a home has risen to 60% of the cost of a home from 10%. At the same time, uh, lots have been reduced in size from 600 square metres to 275. Developers have controlled the supply of land from their land banks. Uh, land in the southwest, uh, we're not sure which state you're from, sorry, but please tell us where you're from when you text in. Uh, says it's being sold at $2,000 per square metre, making a 300, uh, 300 square metre lot uh, that's $600,000. So the government must enter the land development program in competition with developers. Look, a lot of thoughts on that one there. We've heard some uh, solutions from Dr. Wei ji from uh, Swinburne University. But just before we wrap up, Dr. Alastair Sisson, from your perspective, what are some solutions? Uh, if you had a chance to design uh, whatever utopian solution you could reach, um, what would it be? <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's how long have you got? <laughs> a, a minute. But, um, so there's an opportunity with the upcoming negotiation between the Commonwealth Government and the states to, um, for a new agreement for social housing. So they'll be renewing what's currently called the National Housing and Homelessness Agreement um, and talking about what arrangements will be in place for funding and financing for social housing, which is managed by the state governments. And I think what they need to be thinking about is really uh, a, a kind of a renewal of the Commonwealth States housing agreements from the 1950s and 1960s, which were able to build something like 30,000 homes a year um, and for a much smaller population. And through large grants, you know, this problem is not going to be solved without spending a lot of money. Basically, it's not something that politicians are going to want to hear, of course. But when we're talking about waiting lists of nearly 180,000 households and also need that's been estimated at around the 400,000 property kind of level nationally, and we need to be talking about spending a lot of money on social housing, buying it and building it over the next 10 years or so.
0: Yeah, lots of great solutions there. Dr. Alistair Sisson, Dr. Jie Hu, thank you so much for joining us on Life Matters.
2: Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.